You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. If you'd like to find out more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com where you'll find all of our past podcasts and other blog posts that we have up, along with some other items that you can purchase to help support the Beardcast. So we hope you enjoy listening to this week's show. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And today we have the most holy and right reverend Matt Rawl with us. He's a... uh, a new friend of ours. He's the lead pastor at Asbury United Methodist Church in Bozier, Bozier City, Louisiana. Yeah. And uh, Matt, thanks for thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having us. You know, long time no see. Um, right. you know, it's it's good to be here. Yeah, uh, I got to got to meet Matt in person this last week in Nashville. So that was that was a ton of fun. It was fun. That was a good time. It was a good time. Uh, so Matt, you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, kind of where you're from, what you do, what you're passionate about. Those yeah, things. so I'm originally from uh, the New Orleans area, uh, which is a great, that was a great childhood, man. It was, yeah. that was a lot of fun. It's a great city, uh, tons of fun. Uh, always been uh, in the United Methodist Church, uh, baptized as a baby, um, and uh, went to LSU for undergrad, so got football taken care of in undergrad. Yeah. And then I went to Duke Divinity School for grad school, so got basketball taken care of in grad school. There you go. Just hit, you know, hitting the important things. Right, um, right. Make sure you know, the extracurricular, uh, uh, not the education, um, is how I choose <laughs> schools. Uh, and then, yeah, so I've, I've been a pastor in Louisiana for, since, uh, well, I started as a youth director, and I was hired as 19 as a youth director. And you should never, ever do that, ever. <laughs> but yeah, I made it out uh, and, and answered a call to ministry and been in Louisiana ever since. Uh, currently serving in North Louisiana. Uh, having a good time. Living the dream with four kids in a minivan. So we are, Christy and I, my wife, uh, are never bored, ever. You know, yeah. we, have, we have Isabel, who's 11. Uh, we call her the great negotiator because everything's a negotiation. Yes. <laughs> Anna Lee is our nine-year-old, and she uh, is the great compromiser. She would give up her cookie if it meant people would get along. Right. Uh, and then Cecilia, or as we call her Lady Cecilia, uh, her, her nickname is, uh, she's six years old, so we call her Destructo. Her job <laughs> is to kick over what anyone else has built. She's going to be, no, Cecilia's going to be a great CEO one day. Right. Because she has very definitive tastes, her right. way or the highway. Yep. Uh, but she's kind of pain in the butt to raise. Like, she's going to be a great adult one day. We just hope we all get there together. Right. <laughs> we have Robert, uh, who's two and a half. We call him Mr. Chill, because if you just keep keep him fed, like, he's good, man. You know, he's yeah. just whatever. Yeah. So that's kind of our slice uh, slice of life over here in Louisiana. You, you literally just picked my family up, <laughs> plus a kid. I only have three, but plopped them in Louisiana, man. That's... <laughs> You described it to a T. It is, it is a textbook. You know, yeah. our, our household is a textbook of, of certainly what not to do in terms of raising children. <laughs> right. But it's, it's uh, you know, there you go. We're just a study case for psychologists and therapists. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. No, I love it, man. That's great. Uh, for someone who has three kids in a minivan, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I love my minivan. Yeah, Dude, it's great. Automatic doors. So practical. Life-saving. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just... Well, having an automatic door means I can yell at my kids from a distance. Like I don't have to be at the van in order to do that. You know, it saves saves some steps. It does. It does. Yeah. <laughs> That's good stuff. So, yeah, I've, I've been writing uh, for Abingdon Press uh, since I guess 2015, uh, which has been a lot of fun, uh, a lot of work, but a really interesting practice. At least being in the parish and being a parent and uh, kind of diving into that. So that that's been 
tons of fun and, and still kind of pinching myself that that whole thing happened. Uh, weird how it happened. So I did a worship series on uh, Doctor Who uh, at, at one church I was serving. And I was kind of, I was, I was leaving, I was being reappointed. So I think the senior pastor finally gave up and said, okay, you can do the Doctor Who thing, whatever that's supposed to be. And uh, it was fantastic. We had a lot of fun. And uh, one of my friends noticed that the University of Manchester was doing a religion and Doctor Who day for the 50th anniversary of the show and said, you should put your sermons together in a paper or whatever. So I did that, emailed it off, uh, didn't hear anything. Then about, uh, you know, another rejection, you know, that's cool. That's fine. Um, and then uh, about three months later, they emailed me saying, hey, we'd, we'd love for you to speak at our religion of Doctor Who day. You know, we can't pay you anything. I'm like, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll figure that out. Right. Uh, so I, you know, got, got some funding together. My wife and I went over there and uh, again, just kind of pinching myself that I was offering a religion and ethics discussion on their own television program, which was just kind of bonkers and weird. Uh, but great. Uh, came back and the local paper in Baton Rouge did a story uh, on the Doctor Who worship series. And it literally crossed the desk of uh, someone's email or someone's Facebook feed at Abingdon. And they said, well, that's different. That's weird. Uh, so they called me up and like the rest is history. And that was just a fun, you know, didn't solicit, didn't email or send out any manuscripts or whatever, just kind of right. did my thing and social media took care of the rest. Nice. Nice. So, you know, it's, it's always fun how uh, some of this stuff just falls into place, right? Totally. <laughs> uh, like you, I got hired as a youth pastor at 19, right? That's yeah. the stupidest thing ever. But, but here we are, right? <laughs> <laughs> we made it. We made it we out. Made it. Yeah. yeah. That's why we that. don't have hair. <clears throat> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Some think, some think it's, a, it's a fashion choice. It's called stress and, <laughs> uh, you know, living. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but now, you know, I have a natural halo wherever I go when the lights are particularly bright, you know, the holiness shines through. That's right. I wear a hat so I don't blind people. Yeah, uh, I should. I should wear hats. <laughs> now that's awesome, man. So what, so going, going through that, I mean, being really unintentionally getting into to writing books and, right. and things like that, right? I mean, there, there's some intention there in sending some things out, but, but really getting that phone call, I mean, what, what's it like to go and, and be on someone else's turf and, and, and preach something you've written that they want to hear about, right? Because that's different than like going to a camp or going to a conference or, you know, a, a United Methodist conference, right? Yeah. So like offering a sermon in person um, is, is one thing because I always, I'm very intentional about asking who the audience is, yeah. right? Not, not so much to I hope I don't say something that's offensive or whatever, mm -hmm. but just being able to know how to talk to people uh, you know, what kind of images make sense? You know, uh, do they do they like football? Do they appreciate uh, political reform? Do they, you know, where are they, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, but then writing a book and you have no idea who's going to pick it up uh, is a total different way of sharing the gospel and sharing your thoughts and being able to grab the attention of a stranger uh, is, is mm -hmm. kind of bonkers and weird, which is why, because folks ask me all the time, like, what how do I write? How do I do this? And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the number one, it's write what you know. Like, just start there. Like, write, you know, write as who you are, write what you know, and uh, you'll, you'll capture somebody uh, at some point. So, yeah, writing a book for someone, for a stranger, is totally different than guest speaking, or even preaching in your own um, uh, context uh, mm -hmm. and, and congregation. Because uh, we also live, <laughs> we live under the myth that all of our communities of faith are homogenous. 
right. and that there's no need for nuance. There's no need to choose language really correctly. And, uh, and that's totally not true. So I have a church member and this is fantastic. So um, uh, he's, his name's Mike and he's great, wicked smart, uh, bitingly hilarious. Uh, and so sometimes it, when, when I do like uh, a perceived left-leaning sermon, and I, I try to stay in the center of all things, like I'm a big, I love the, the Holy Center uh, as best as I can. Uh, or, or I'll say this, to, to proclaim the gospel, and however that falls into which box it falls into, like, you know, so be it. Uh, so I, I, I gave what he thought was a particularly left-leaning sermon one day, and he called me in the narthex. He goes, preacher, you need to warn me when you're having one of those sermons so I can take what you say with a grain of salt. So the next Sunday before worship, I gave him a bag of salt before he came into worship. <laughs> I said, I just want you to be prepared, like, just in case, you know, I want you to be... Uh, and then uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, I, I was I was giving a sermon, and, and he in real time texted me a picture of a salt mine, of a machine like bringing <laughs> it was a gift of a, of a machine extracting salt out of a thing, and yeah. that's when that's when it gets fun, like when yeah. we can share the gospel and like we know we cancel each other out in a voting booth, but we're still getting good work done and we're having a good time doing it, and and we buy, we both know where each other are and. No one's getting offended and we're doing good stuff. And, and right. I love that, uh, particularly about my context uh, here up north. Yeah, I, I, I love those conversations in the receiving line after church where one person's like, Pastor, you're meddling, you know, you're meddling. <laughs> and and oh. then the next person's like, I love that. I need it. <laughs> oh, okay. exactly. You know, one, uh, in, in a church I had previously served, you know, a woman, and I was the associate. So I preached like once uh, on vacation day or I call them naps. Yeah. Uh, National Associate Pastor Sunday, yep. uh, because that's what the congregation's doing. They're taking a nap. So like right. the Sunday after Easter, Memorial Day weekend, yep. that kind of a deal. Yep. So I preached like four times a year. And there's this one lady who just came up to me. She goes, you changed my life today. And I eventually stopped her and said, because she said it every time I preached. Right. I said, if that's true, then you're back to where you started. Because I've <laughs> preached now four times. And then it's right. done an about face every time. You know, you've now made the lap. And you're back to where you, you know, I love those conversations uh, after church because it's, it's bonkers in terms of what people hear, Yeah, uh, which is, a lo I love recording. So we have a podcast, right? And it's just a recording of my sermon. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love going back to that because people will say, you know, I love how you said, you know, fill in the blank or, you know, they'll quote me on Twitter. I'm like, I didn't say, you even used quotes, but I didn't even say that. <laughs> and you put that in quotes, you know, right. I hope it's a good quote, you know, but. Right. Uh, lo I love those conversations, you know, those conversations in real time with people shaking a hand and yeah. uh, it's beautiful. It's good it stuff. Is. It is. So um, you have a new book out. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about it? Um, it yeah, um, it's, it's, it's called the, the Gift of the Nutcracker. Um, and it's, it's an Advent study because uh, kind of my, my shtick, like my game, my deal. Yeah, there it is. Uh, beautiful, beautiful blue cover designed by Angie Kaysen. Uh, who is my very, very great and dear friend, uh, and I thank her for her artistry. Um, kind of my, my, my thing uh, is, you know, write what you know, right? So what I know is uh, pop culture. That's an easy ask uh, for me. Uh, so kind of trying to find that intersection between uh, culture and the church, however we're defining that, you know, because culture simply is what we make of the world. Uh, God offers the raw ingredients and in whatever we cook up uh, is culture food, music, movies, literature, uh, all of these things. And I love playing with the line between sacred and secular or our perceived idea of 
sacred and secular because I'm, I'm convinced that the difference between the two is function. Uh, not something on high, uh, but something, because it's bread and it's juice until it's blessed and broken. Uh, and then it becomes a sacred uh, uh, function of Christ's presence with us. So it's how we use these things. So the latest book is called uh, The Gift of the Nutcracker. One, it's a familiar story. Like even if you don't, even if you haven't read the original story, you have some kind of working knowledge. And I love trying to choose something that you don't have to explain. Uh, if you see a Nutcracker, you, you have some kind of working knowledge that it's a Christmas story. You know, you've heard the ballet or maybe you've seen the new Disney movie that's out, uh, the, which is really cool. Like every time I put a book out, like Disney decides to do a movie along with it, which is super marketing that I don't have to do, which is incredible. Uh, you know, last time with uh, the redemption of Scrooge, uh, the man who invented Christmas came out, uh, which is just, I love when Disney does my own marketing for me. That's incredible. Um, you know, so uh, Gift of the Nutcracker looks at, because that story is in four beats. Uh, and Advent has four weeks right? Uh, so it kind of writes itself on, on that level. It starts with Clara. And that's, that's what captured me about the story is the main character, Clara. Um, she's a 12-year-old girl. And at the beginning of the story, she's on the outside looking in. Uh, and it's really about this transition from childhood to adolescence, right? So she's on the outside looking in, there's this grand party happening, and she's looking through a keyhole. And she's been told not to enter the party until the Christmas tree is lit. And I love that image of light is the signal uh, that we can enter into uh, the party. Uh, and, and talking about transition of a 12-year-old girl, just kind of, kind of diving into that because I have an 11-year-old daughter. And there's something about that age. Like you would have to pay me 100 million bucks to be 12 years old again. Like that is just, it's a bonkers state of life. It's yes. just weird. Like, your body's doing things, your brain is doing things, the whole world looks at your parents all become, you know, they become stupid all of a sudden. <laughs> they were so smart and now they don't know how to put their shoes on, you know, this kind of a deal. Uh, and interestingly enough, the only story from Jesus's childhood we have is when he was 12 years old. Uh, and I find that fantastic because yeah. there's this transitionary period where his parents don't know where he is. And for any parent of a teenager, you know exactly what that means, right? What has happened to my kid? Right? They, yeah. they used to be sweet and nice and out there yelling at me because I don't have ketchup in the fridge. Like, what is happening to my family? Uh, and this, so and that we have this story in scripture of, of Jesus being 12 and his parents have lost him. Uh, God, what a, there's, there's a sermon in there already. Right. Uh, so they go and find him and he's a bit snarky with them. Uh, you know, child, what have you done to us? Which, by the way, I think is the edited version of that. <laughs> um, I, I learned an, a new word. Uh, it's called balderizing, okay. uh, and it and it means softening the tone of the language. Because mm -hmm. um, Acts, the book of Acts, in large part is is a balderizing of the tension between Peter and Paul, okay. right? So it's written to kind of kind of smooth that over a bit. Like Peter has the first half of the book, Paul has the second half of the book, and even though they had disagreements, they kind of did their thing, and it's great. Um, so we have a balderizing of this because. There's no Jewish mother on the planet that after losing their son for three days would say, child, what have you done to us? You know, you know it would be like growing up, I, like I was walking home one day from school. I was in fifth grade and I decided to stop at my friend's house and play Top Gun on Nintendo, uh, which is one of the hardest games ever to play, yeah, so only rivaled by, you know, E.T. on the Atari, right? So it's impossible to land a plane on that game. So I was at his house for like two and a half hours. Didn't tell anybody, 
you know, this is the day before cell phones and stuff. And, uh, and I just, I started walking home and it was about dinner time, and my mother was outside pacing the driveway. And I thought, how odd for my mother to be taking a walk at this time of day. And uh, so I get there and she runs to me and she gives me the warmest hug I think I've ever received, followed by the swiftest spanking I think I've ever received. And it was one of those syllabic spankings with like every syllable, you know, why did you do this to us? So long story short, or long story long, rather, I think like we have the, the edited version of this interaction between Mary and Jesus, you know, child, what have you done to us? And Jesus is like snarky. He's a total 12 year old. He's like, did you not know that I'd be in my father's house? Right. Like what the frick mom, you know, right. you, you should have known where we were, uh, where I was. And then I love it because at the end of the story, it says he went home and obeyed his parents. <laughs> so I bet so. I bet that was a long walk back to Galilee that day, my friend, you know, uh, and then it says, and this is a, this is a good theological wrestling, right? Cause sometimes, especially uh, 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 when we preach about uh, the glory of Christ and, and, and Jesus being the Messiah, we tend to forget that he was also human, uh, which is what I love about the Advent and Christmas story. Uh, it says that he grew in wisdom uh, after that. Uh, and, and, you know, Jesus learned like, that's fantastic to think about. And, and, and the theological profound nature of, Jesus being born, just, just that alone is, is bonkers and amazing because Jesus had parents. Mm-hmm. And what a, there are several things that God does that I put in the bozo category. Like what a bozo idea for God to do. And one of them is having the Messiah be raised by parents. Because like I know me as a parent and we screw up all the time. Um, you know, it's just what kind of therapy your kids are going to have later. Right. And this idea that the Savior of the cosmos, right? I have a very high picture of um, the meritorious work of Christ as a cosmic event, right? It changed everything. All things were reconciled. Uh, and all in the Greek means all, right? So like, it's a huge deal. And theologically, I like to think about this, especially on Christmas Eve, that God had to trust in humanity in order to save humanity. God gave Jesus to a couple of parents and how vulnerable is that? Uh, how risky is that? It's like on the day of Pentecost, I mentioned this in Nashville, like what a bozo idea to like pour out the Holy Spirit on regular people. Like that's risky because mm-hmm. I work with regular people all day and they're capable of extraordinary things and terrible things all at the same time. And what a, vul- what a vulnerable love God has. Right. And that's kind of where we start with the gift of the nutcracker is this child going through a transition and trying to figure things out. Uh, and, and what a beautiful story that is with, with Clara. Um, and I kind of end that first chapter in talking about silence, kind of a holy silence, because at the end of the beginning of the story, she is, it's, it's the middle of the night. She's just looking out the window and there's this beautiful thing about silence in, in the mystery of, of Christmas. It's fascinating that in Luke, the gospel of Luke, we don't hear anything from Joseph. He's completely silent. And then in Matthew, we don't hear anything from Mary. Right. She's completely silent. And, and the way I interpret that is in those two stories, the faith of the other was enough. Hmm. Uh, Joseph didn't need to say anything uh, because Mary said, be it unto me, you know, uh, your, your servant. 
And in Matthew, Mary doesn't have to say anything because Joseph has these dreams and is visited by angel. The faith of the other is enough. And what does that look like uh, in Christmas? So that's kind of where we start uh, in the story of the gift of the Nutcracker. We move to Drosselmeyer in chapter two, which is Clara's godfather. Interesting character. Uh, he does this puppet show. Uh, and if you've never read the story before, the puppet show foreshadows everything else that happens in the story, which is a very Advent thing to do. Uh, with the Hebrew scriptures of foreshadowing what this whole thing. I'm fascinated that when people talk about scripture in the New Testament, they're not talking about the New Testament because the New Testament wasn't there yet. Right. And when we talk about Christ being a fulfillment of the scriptures, they're talking about the Old Testament. And we don't do enough to dive, or we, me, right? I hate when preachers use the royal we. Like, <laughs> you don't know me. You don't know my context. I'm saying, you know, when we look at the world, this is what we see. Like, stop it. You're not in Shreveport. Like, what the heck? Um, so let me rephrase that. I don't do enough diving into the Old Testament of how those Hebrew scriptures really point to who Jesus was and who Christ is. You know, so we, we dive into that in chapter two of Drosselmeyer, who is this godfather figure. When the nutcracker is broken, he fixes it. He's always there. He offers gifts and he's always there in the background, like right when Claire needs him. And there's a, there's a powerful narrative uh, there with, with who God is uh, in, in this story. Uh, chapter three of the book is about perspective and how Advent, I hope, changes our perspective uh, in the world. Because there's this, it's one thing if you see a mouse run across your living room, it's a completely different thing if the mouse is twice as tall as you. Like that's weird and intimidating. And there's this mouse king that comes out like to attack and uh, our perspective changes, I hope, uh, in the season of Advent, especially when we get around like these bozo arguments that we get into over, you know, someone said happy holidays and like now I'm all offended about that. Like that's dumb. Like why don't, like saying thank you to them is a really great response uh, to hearing happy holidays. Or as I like to say, sometimes we go into apologetics mode and we're always on the defense of our faith but if if we have apologetics without evangelism you know if we're defending our faith without actually sharing it and living into it we're building a wall that actually protects nothing you know and look it's it's like the song oh my gosh so i'm doing this thing on twitter and facebook right now of the top 31 worst christmas songs it's like an ncaa bracket of the worst and you have to vote for the worst one each day i'm a little behind um, but like one of the songs is called Where's the Line to See Jesus? I don't know if you've heard this song. Uh, Where's the line to see Jesus? Is he here at the store? You know, and I don't know why you're looking for Jesus in the gap, but like, of course, the line's short. Like, go to a church. The line's long there uh, to see Jesus. And the video is the most troubling thing about it. You really do have to YouTube this. Uh, Where's the line uh, to see Jesus? Because there's this child, and I see what they're trying to do. Like, there's this child that like, peeks into the story to remind her about Jesus. And then she turns around and he disappears, but it's so poorly executed because it's this total Damien and Omen kind of thing that happens in this video. It's like the creepiest thing. He just said, you know, where's the line to see Jesus. And like the kid like pops out and then like disappears. And it's just, it's, it's so creepy and weird. So that's on my worst bracket of 30. And there's some great songs on that worst list. Like, Daddy, Please Don't Get Drunk This Christmas by John Denver. Uh, there's a song called Christmas Eve, Burn It to the Ground, which is like a punk Christmas song. That's like, what? <laughs> so you have to check that out on, on the Facebook and the Twitters, um, this, this list of terrible songs. 
perspective matters, right? So um, uh, this chapter three of, of Nutcracker is about uh, our perspective and how I love, especially in the Gospel of Luke, how he flips power over. It starts in the days of, of Caesar Augustus, right? The whole world should be counted. And then there's like this laundry list of powerful folk uh, until it gets to the baby Jesus at the end. So there's, there's Emperor Augustus, Quirinius, uh, uh, Joseph, Mary, and then the baby Jesus. Uh, interestingly, when he says all the world should be counted, all does not refer to the people who have power. Like Caesar didn't have to go and register. Quirinius didn't have to go and register. All the poor folk did, um, which is interesting. And then in kind of Luke's own subversive way, Caesar and Quirinius aren't mentioned again at all in the story. Uh, once you get to Jesus, the rung even goes lower because then you get to shepherds, <laughs> which are even below. And then once the angels appear, the whole thing flips. Uh, literally in the story it goes, uh, so Augustus, Quirinius, Joseph, Mary, Jesus, shepherds, and then the angels appear, and then the shepherds go to see Jesus and Mary and Joseph. Like it's this total uh, chiasm of, of power. And that's really great. I think Advent uh, and Christmas and Christianity as a whole should shift our perspective. And then finally, chapter four, if you stuck around long enough, we get to the actual <laughs> nutcracker uh, in the story of, of being the greatest gift. He sacrifices himself to, to save Clara. And through that process uh, becomes real, kind of like Pinocchio becomes a real boy. Uh, but there's this idea of uh, suffering, death and resurrection uh, that's in that that narrative. And at the end of the story, the Nutcracker ushers her into a party where people from every nation on earth have has gathered, uh, which is a picture of heaven, right? There's this welcome, there's this, there's no lines of ethnicity, everyone is there. And then kind of the closing scene, she sees Drosselmeyer in the distance. Uh, so, so he was there the whole time orchestrating this whole story. Uh, so yeah, that's a very long-winded explanation of what the gift of the Nutcracker uh, is all about. And it's fun, right? So we have an advent calendar that goes with it. Um, sermon starters, because I know pastors, I, like I, I know that life. And having a, a sermon starter where you can just look up, oh, fantastic. Here's an outline. It'll make me look really professional. I can whip up a sermon. I have killer graphics. And uh, I still have time to go have lunch with my friend. <laughs> and, and like, you, you seem super effective. And it's the least amount of work you've done all year. You know? So right. We try to make it really easy for, for pastors to adopt it and to use it um, and for individuals to, to pick it up and read it. It's, you know, it's, it's not Karl Barth's dogmatics, right? Uh, you can pick it up, read it, and put it down uh, and, and go about your life. Uh, and that's kind of the slice of, of, of what that particular book is. Well, and I, and I love that because what is Advent, right? Advent's this time of preparation and, and getting there. And if we're so bogged down in the trying to get there, we don't prepare, right? We're, we're not, we're not in the right place. We're, we're frustrated. We're stressed. We're mad at our family. Our family's mad at us. Nothing bright is going in the world. And then we get to Christmas and it's like, ugh, we're not enjoying it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I love the, the sense of Advent, like you're preparing to wait, which mm -hmm. is just kind of bonkers. Like you're doing all this preparation work to wait on Jesus. And I, I love, um, at the beginning of the book, we talk about how uh, anticipation needs curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, if you know what the presents are under the tree, you're not nearly as excited to wait to open them, right? Uh, so there's this, and it's not curiosity about how Jesus's story uh, details how he was born. Like we know that story. It's the holy curiosity of why it matters today. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I love about Advent is that it's here and not yet. Um, it's, it's the perpetual 
uh, curiosity of how God continues to work um, with humanity. Like that, that's also kind of a bozo idea. And I'm thankful and humbled that God hasn't said, you know what? Y'all are screwed up. Like I'm totally done with y'all. <laughs> I've been trying to do this for thousands of years, like trying yeah. to get you to not be jerks and you're still doing it. So I'm going to now covet with frogs or whatever. Like he's just going to pick something else. And I don't know. Um, but yeah, I love that. The anticipation, we try to make it easy so that you can kind of live into that. Mm -hmm. And hopefully pastors, like if they use this, they can actually jump into the meaning of Advent, which is waiting and slowing down and surrounding yourself with mystery instead mm -hmm. of making sure that the Advent candles are full. Is my liturgist going to show up? Right. You know, all of these other bozo things that we have to do during the season. So we try to make it easy so that folks can actually live into what Advent is about. Mm -hmm. well, that's something I love about Advent is it's so counter cultural, right? The yeah. culture is saying, go, 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 hurry, hurry, hurry. You know, we got to get to this point and we got to get there now and hard and fast. And it's got to be the best thing ever, right? right. Uh, where Advent says, oh, no, <laughs> let's, let's slow down. Slow your roll. Yeah, yeah. slow your roll. Uh, because yeah. what is coming is the greatest thing, right? Is hope, is all of these things. And let's, let's wait to get there because it's going to be yeah. good. It, it, it's, it's a, uh, a waiting in the midst of preparation, right? So in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, prepare the way of the Lord, uh, it says. Um, and we, we often prepare in lots of wrong ways uh, for the coming uh, of Christ. We prepare and fill our stuff with a bunch of, fill our schedule with a bunch of stuff mm -hmm. uh, instead of, you know, I love, you know, uh, I love that. Oh my gosh, Isaiah 40, when it says the mountains will be made low, uh, rough places plain, prepare the way of the Lord. That's our work. Um, it doesn't say God will make the mountains low. Uh, he's saying you prepare the way of the Lord, make the rough places plain, lower the mountains, lift the lowly up. And, and when that work is done, we can see Christ clearly. Uh, and that's the kind of work that we need to be doing in Advent and let the rest of it uh, be. Just let it be. Like, look, Jesus is going to be born whether or not you stuff bulletins or not. Like right. if, if Jesus... Let God take care of that. Mm -hmm. You prepare the way by making sure Christ is clearly seen right. in the season uh, and let the rest be. Love it. I love it. It's, it's like when you're, when, when you're having a baby, um, you know, the, the baby's going to be born, right? So um, <laughs> my wife read uh, what to expect when you're expecting, mm -hmm. which really should be titled paranoia 101. <laughs> 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 just like, you know, should I eat salmon? No, I shouldn't eat too much salmon. Like I should drink this much water. Like, and I had a different version. I forget the title of it now, but it was like, hey, this week, your baby's the size of a buffalo wing, you know? And it's like, <laughs> oh, how cool is that? And like your, your baby can now see light. So I was like eating buffalo wings, like while shining a light. Shining lights. <laughs> to see if the baby would kick and, and this kind of thing. Like, and we could do like as parents, first time parents, like we do a lot of preparation and there's a lot of good to that. But then we also do a lot of bonker preparation, like decorating a nursery. Like the child doesn't know that there are giraffes on the wall, at least yet. But we like try to do all these things. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it's great and it's important and it, and it brings people together. But sometimes like the baby's, the baby's coming whether we've painted the nursery or not. Right. You know, Christ is coming whether or not we've wrapped every gift just so. And I don't want to make light of, of decorating a nursery because mm -hmm. that's important, right? To, to create a space. That's what hospitality is. It's creating a space for someone. Um, but 
you know, we, we tend to fill creating that space uh, with a lot of things uh, that, that don't ultimately matter. Can Christ be seared, uh, clearly seen in this preparation or not? You know, that's a good barometer to check uh, as we're getting ready for the season. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I love that analogy because cause we do. We, we Coming from the male perspective, right? Sure. We look at these things as, as we prepare for children. And if the diaper pill is not just in the right place, if the changing table is not in the right place, the baby doesn't care, right? That's, 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 that's yeah. preparing for us. But we do the same thing in worship. The angels have to be here. Mary and Joseph have to be here. The wise man can't be in here until later. You know, <laughs> all of this stuff. Move uh, them in slowly yes, as the right. story progresses. You know, right. are the candles full of the bulletins there? You know, all of these things. Is the music just right? You know? Right. Um, oh, and I'm totally right. So a music, right? So we're doing a hanging of the green service. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going bonkers over because it's something new uh, in our context, right? It's kind of this mm-hmm. folk not bluegrass, but kind of folk music, kind of it's, we use music by the brilliance mm-hmm. uh, and, and Gunger and, and these kind of things. And, and we are rehearsing our pants off for this thing. And all of a sudden you kind of have to stop and say, Jesus will be present anyway. Yeah. And let's kind of, we've done the work. Let's just now live, let's live into it a bit mm-hmm. uh, and enjoy the, the blessing that, that God is trying to, to offer in the midst of changing key signatures and, you know, tuning the cello and all this stuff. And, uh, so yeah, living in living into the season. It is, and it, it it is that very thing. Is I think as as pastors, as people, we forget to live into this season. Right. Inside worship, outside worship, wherever it is, it's really easy to get consumed into everything else. Yeah, but the totally. hope, well, the hope but, there is Jesus is coming anyways. <laughs> right. That's, why that's, you need that's the assumption. Yeah. You need people yeah. that have no problem seeing the world burn and will do things that will cause it to burn. <laughs> right. I'm one of those people. Like I have no problem. Like I'll do things purposely just to see how people respond. And then to be there like, no dude, like this is okay. Like who cares if we lit the wrong flipping candle, they lit the other purple candle, not the other one, you know, like, you know, it's just trying to, it, it's amazing to me. And, and I think about that. I've been thinking about that a lot about Advent this year. Um, I've been trying not, to stress myself out about it to not make it something that it's really not um but to keep the the the, this whole idea of preparation and and focus on really what's the most important thing um and especially in my context right now where we have lot we we're struggling with hope um Mm. a congregation who is like a lot of our congregations on, on on a drastic decline um and and have more space than we know what to do with and so the question i've been asking especially the last few months is how can we be a good neighbor and and how can we open our doors and ourselves up um to the people around us but then when we do that realize that jesus is going to be there um no matter how messy it is no matter if they look like us or talk like us or act like us or you know who cares if they come into worship um you know not dressed like us um and so um modeling that has been um, a little bit interesting um, and entertaining um, and, and causing sometimes being that holy agitator of orchestrating, like, you know, that like when you do this, this is going to piss this person off, but you want to use it as a teaching moment for them to open themselves up. What may actually like, Hey, like this is why we do this. Not because of, you know, the number of chicken nuggets that the kid gets on his plate. We want to make sure that he's getting fed. And so like, you know, that's right. stuff that we have to, to, be, to be a holy instigator, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, flipping over the money changing tables is an option. Like it's, it's, <laughs> right. it's in there. 
And also, you know, hope, hope is such an interesting thing to think about because hope in and of itself has no moral value. So hope needs help. So I could hope that my enemy burns. I could also hope that I find peace one day, right? So hope in and of itself, which is why in 1 Corinthians, Paul surrounds hope with faith and love. You know, faith, hope, and love literally surrounds hope with faith and love uh, because hope needs help. Uh, you know, it, it, looking at the equation, you know, hope is a destination uh, that, that we want to get to. Faith is trusting that that destination is where God is calling us to be. And love is how we get there. You know, it's, it's with, with my background in youth ministry, like this makes total sense to me. You know, hope is, you know, we're going to Arizona for a mission trip. That's the destination. Faith is trusting that that's where God is calling us to be. Like we're called to go to Arizona in the Navajo Nation. And then love is how we get there, right? Mm -hmm. Fundraising letters, packing lists, making sure we have the right tools with the right people at the right time. And uh, see, so faith, hope, and love, which is why I love the, the, not necessarily the order of the candles, right? Um, you know, purple, purple, pink, purple, white, you know, and, and don't screw it up you know, or, you know, or blue candles, which is I just, like, I'm a, I'm a blue guy. Well, I'll pray for you. So, you know, the, the, those, those other colors that Cokesbury invented, I love Cokesbury blue, blue's not a liturgical color. Anyway, so um, but you it's have, very Germanic. It's just, uh, you know, that's fine. That's fine. You can go sing Elvis's blue Christmas. All you want. Um, and you have to, you know, uh, you have to sell additional vestments. Like I understand it's, it's cool uh, to make ends meet. Like I'm in, I'm in the game, right? I totally, <laughs> but uh, you know, purple, purple, pink, purple, white. Um, but the peace, hope, love, and joy. And cause I play with the order, right? right. Uh, with one exception, uh, I always leave joy last mm. um, uh, because joy is the steadfast assurance that God is with us. Mm -hmm. um, it's not necessarily a happy feeling. It can be. Uh, sometimes it's, it's a sad feeling like at the foot of the cross, you know, were you there? Um, joy is, is recognizing that in the midst of all things, God is with us. And I love ending the Advent season with joy uh, because we're about to celebrate and worship that God had, God is with us in the flesh. You know, the, uh, the tabernacle is here uh, and, and will uh, always be with us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so I love thinking about joy. And that's usually always my Christmas Eve sermon has something to do with the steadfast assurance that, that God is with us and how amazing this is. And, um, and it's not always a happy feeling, right? So like with a oh, little town of Bethlehem, that is a, put in the right context, is a haunting song. Mm -hmm. um, especially when you're talking about like the slaughter of the innocents in Matthew's gospel mm -hmm. where Herod ordered the murder of two-year-olds everywhere uh, in, in his, his kingdom. Uh, o little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Mm -hmm. uh, a dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by and in thy dark streets, shine, their dark streets shineth in everlasting light. The hope and fears of all the years rest in thee tonight. That's haunting. Yeah. Uh, especially if someone's going through something uh, really difficult and it's not a happy time of the season for them. I lean into that hymn a lot. Uh, we do a longest night worship service mm -hmm. uh, the day before Christmas Eve. So we have a, a tritium of the story, right? So there's the longest night, there's Christmas Eve, and then Christmas Day we have carols and cocoa. Uh, where we sing Christmas songs and we, you know, I, it's just me and the guitar and we give everybody else a day off. Um, but that, that suffering, that joy, and then that steadfastness uh, makes a really great trinity of worship services uh, during the, 
the Advent season. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you're leaning into the other side of joy, right? Yeah. Um, sure. I don't think we do that well, especially this time as, as a church, as a society, as anything, right? Right. One, we don't like to grieve in general, but especially now it's Thanksgiving. We're supposed to be happy and thankful and well, we lead into Christmas. And so we're supposed to be happy and, and ready for family and all of this stuff. Right. And, and yet we have a multitude of people who are going through their firsts first year without so-and-so at Thanksgiving, first year without so-and-so at Christmas, uh, or it's their fifth or 10th or 20th mm -hmm. year. And, and we forget that, mm -hmm. that, oh no, it's still painful. You know, oh no, it's still hard as we press into these seasons that we're supposed to put a, put a smile on. I'm sad. You know, I'm grieving still in these moments and, um, man, that's tough. It, and yeah. I think that, I think we get a, I, I think those folks our community around us gets overlooked and puts a smile on their face and goes with it, you know, and and are sad. And I had a church member who, um, during the Advent season, she would always sit with her arms crossed during the hymns. Um, and I and I finally asked her like, "You doing okay? Like, what's going on? Like, are you mad?" Mm -hmm. um, and she finally and she for a year, more than a year, would say, "I don't want to talk about it." Okay, fair, good, fair enough, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, eventually she let me know that her, her dad died on Christmas day. And I just can't imagine what that's like, like, right. uh, my God. Uh, and then I noticed, so after we had a longest night service, I noticed that instead of crossing her arms and remaining silent, she would weep through the mm. hymns. And that's an example of crying is a good thing because she was beginning to feel again. Uh, and that was, that was really powerful. In fact, we had a family who the anniversary of the death of their four-year-old is coming up uh, in just a week. And I tell a story in The Gift of the Nutcracker about it, how um, it was a terrible car accident. And, you know, I've not cried that hard with a family uh, in a really long time. Uh, they, they worked, the doctors did the best they could for like two weeks uh, on this child. And it's one of those things where this has the potential to destroy this, this family. Uh, and I've seen it before when both parents are empty and they're grieving, they can't comfort each other. And, and I was totally wrong. This is a family that, and I wrote about it in the book is it's humbling for me yeah. to see these people and they didn't blame God. They didn't say like, God just needed another angel. It wasn't any of those platitudes of, you know, we're so happy that she's in heaven now. You know, they were sad. They were really sad, but they also had a joy about them they understood that god is still there and god's heart broke with theirs and they rested in that mm -hmm. and i can say i think quite honestly i had not seen that legitimately with my own eyes ever before mm -hmm. uh recognizing this family mm -hmm. uh, because I, I left you know in the funeral oh lord have mercy that um you know she would wear uh mismatched shoes uh, that was kind of her thing. And all of the kids at the funeral service were wearing mismatched mm. shoes. And it just kind of takes the air out of the room. And you're, you're thinking that this is going to destroy this family. And it totally didn't. And how grounded they are in recognizing what joy is. Right. Uh, sometimes it can be happy, you know, follow la la la. Or sometimes the, that's not the F word that leaves your mouth during the Christmas. <laughs> and, and and seeing them in real time rest in that was humbling yeah. and powerful as a ministry leader uh, to see with my own eyes. That was really yeah. important. I, I've I've encouraged my church this this season go 
Job sits in a pile of ashes and scrapes himself to find relief, right? Yep. In, in those moments, there's deep despair and grief, but he's sitting in that pile of ashes knowing that there's hope, right? Knowing that there's something more beyond this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's my encouragement. Often I try to give my, my church's permission, go sit in that pile of ashes. Yep. If it's you that needs to sit there, go sit there. If you see somebody around you in your community, in your family, wherever that's sitting there, go and sit with them. Don't right. say anything. Just go and sit with them. Yeah, Job's friends got it right initially. They just sat with him and kept yeah. their mouth shut. Like right. that's a good plan right. often. And, uh, and, and then I, they spend X number of chapters. <laughs> yeah, then they put their feet the the void, on. right? Like we got to say know, something. The danger of taking stuff out of context is eventually right. God rebuked all of what they said. Mm-hmm. So like if you're quoting Job's friend and putting it on a bumper sticker as faith, you're actually quoting right. something that God eventually rebukes. Right. He's like, mm, like no, no, no. <laughs> no, you know, God, your friends are morons. Like, so, <laughs> That's right. But, you know, how did God get, because I think Job is as close as scripture gets to what depression looks like. Yeah. You know, like you said, he's scraping himself just to remind himself what it means to feel to again. Feel. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially like being in youth ministry, like that resonates, that yeah. story resonates, you know. Um, and then God, you know, out of the whirlwind. You know, gird up your loins and, and let me ask you some questions. And sometimes we see this as a heavy handed answer, but then God says, were you there when I created the Leviathan? Were you there when I uh, hung the stars? Were you there? What God is doing, what God is doing is taking Job on a tour of the most beautiful things that God can muster. Right. Look at the stars, look at the mountains, look at the depths of the ocean. Sometimes the only thing that can combat depression is beauty yeah. itself. Um, another thing that, and, and, and I, you know, um, another thing that combats depression is like medicine, like going and seeing a doctor and, and talking to a professional about it. Like one of the worst things you could do to someone dealing with that is like snap out of it. Like it's Christmas. It's supposed to be a happy time. You know, sometimes, uh, our brain brain does weird things and we have to go talk to someone about it. And all of that is great. I am thankful that God created smart people. Mm-hmm. who made great drugs, because uh, sometimes it's just a chemical imbalance. But sometimes w- when it's not, um, sometimes the only thing we can offer and the only thing we're called to offer is beauty. Mm-hmm. What's the most beautiful thing we can muster? And like, for example, this family that's grieving over the death of their four-year-old, to see their groundedness in understanding what joy actually it is, actually is, was beautiful. Yeah. Sad, terribly uh, 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 lamentable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just this... Uh, you're knee deep in sadness, but it was also beautiful at the same time. Uh, and, and we, sometimes we need to lean into that in the Advent season. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it, that is beautiful. Um, and, and, and the encouragement to lean into that is huge. Uh, I just, that's something that's been on my heart the last year or so. It's just, let's lean into this. Yep. Uh, these words are important. These feelings are important. Uh, telling everybody, you know, or telling someone that it's going to be okay when in their mind and in their life, it's truly not going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. So it's the worst thing we can do. Right. Uh, so let's own that. Let's name it and say, no, this may not be okay. Yeah. It gets, it gets better. You know, it gets better. Well, it might not get (laughs) better. It might not. So, you know what? I'm going to walk with you on this journey. I'm not going to give you a bumper sticker. I'm not going to give you the steel magnolias. Mm -hmm. You should just rejoice because, you know, Shelby's with her King, you know, well, call me selfish. I'd rather have Shelby here. I'd rather have her. Yeah. That is a yeah. magnificent um, picture into the grief process. Just that real quick two minutes of film uh, where there's grief, there's anger, there's denial, 
uh, and then they want to punch Weezer in the face. You know, it's like this is great picture of what grief and then that scene by the way ends with them laughing yeah. um you joy is there uh but we have to walk through the valley right not not stay there but walk through the valley and knowing that god is with us with the rod and the staff uh, uh to be with us to prepare a table in the presence of our enemies you know we're going to be eating one day with people we might not like and that's called god's grace and we might as well get good at it now so speaking of thanksgiving right which is we're, right. you know right around the yeah. time of our <laughs> Um, uh, eating with people. Yeah, I have a, well, I shouldn't tell that story because he's a family member and he <laughs> might hear this podcast, you know, but there, there's a lot to be said for silence around the Thanksgiving table of just not getting into it, just mm -hmm. eating the turkey and enjoying the bounty that God has offered and going back home. That, that's why I pray that my medication really kicks in that day and my ADD just like sedates me exactly in a way where right, I man. just won't Preach. put my food in my mouth. Let Speaking the trip to fan do its thing. <laughs> that's right. And anyway, which, uh, this show will air um, during, uh, well, actually it'll go on on Thanksgiving and it will Thanks be a really nice. good kickoff to, um, to really get everybody in the mood for uh, Advent. And so those pastors that are listening, uh, that have yet to think about Advent. You have one more week to think about that. Um, I would encourage you to look at Matt's book. Um, uh, and Zach's got it right there. If you uh, Cokesbury will ship it overnight. Yeah. <laughs> and it's downloadable, man. You can, you can download the ebook. You can download yes. the video sessions. You can have it on your phone real quick. And, and so, you know, I encourage you to take a look at that. And if you haven't uh, gotten that far yet, um, shame on you. And you need to think about that. <laughs> and repent and work towards next year already. Um, and he has several other books that you could do that with to just go ahead and plan for next year. Um, the whole so, Matt Roll library. The whole Matt right. Roll library. Slowly but surely, man. I, <laughs> I could take care of all of your liturgical needs, brother. <laughs> you know, start, start with one and move on. Yeah. So we, yeah. you know, I encourage you to, to look him up on um, wherever you buy your books. I'm sure they're uh, there for the most part. Um, if they're not, then you need to find a new place to buy your books. Um, <laughs> but uh, Go on our website at beardedtheologians.com. Uh, we'll have a link to some of his um, writings there so you can check them out. Um, and, um, you know, feel free to connect with us and share your thoughts on what you thought of today's episode uh, through all the social medias. Um, check out Matt's social media on his uh, Christmas uh, thing and, and wreck that because there's probably a song that you're not happy with that he's calling not a great Christmas song. Oh, my mother was so offended because she's a big Paul McCartney fan and I, I put, you know, wonderful Christmas time on there mm -hmm. and she didn't talk to me for a day. Like, I was, <laughs> was, no, I was going to be named Paul, right? right. Uh, but my last name is Rawl and thank God she didn't do that to me. Paul Rawl is just <laughs> awful. It's just awful. Yeah. That's uh, that's great. <laughs> so this has been a great uh, beard cast for the week. Uh, so we want to encourage you to just check us out on beardedtheologians.com. It's a good time to go ahead and buy a coffee mug uh, to give to a friend or a pastor who may um, need one uh, for the Christmas season. Um, and so just check us out. We've got a lot of other blog posts and other things going on. And so for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out. We hope you've enjoyed the conversations that we've had today on the Bearded Theologians Beardcast, and we'd encourage you to continue those conversations online at beardedtheologians.com or on our Facebook page. We also hope that you pick up a couple of coffee mugs to uh, satisfy your coffee mug collection. Have a good day.